Good afternoon, family. Happy day after Christmas. Hope you guys had a great time with your families and got some good gifts. But man, it is really good to be in the desert. There's something about the desert air. I, we walked in. I was like, man, this, this is awesome. You know, I really felt really loved and um, and taken care of. But you know, so so I see a lot of familiar faces, but also a lot of unfamiliar ones too. So we thought it would be cool just to formally introduce ourselves. So hello, my name is Chris Lamoa. Uh, nice to meet you guys. Uh, so when, when people first meet me, they, they think I'm Filipino, but I'm not. I look like I'm Filipino, but I'm actually Indonesian. Uh, so if you don't know where Indonesia, uh, Indonesia is, it's uh, those small islands underneath Australia. And uh, I grew up in the IE my entire life, so more specifically in Rancho Cucamonga. So I, uh, I went to Chafee High School, and then I got my undergrad from CSUSB. Uh, and uh, I got my BA in psychology there. And, you know, I, I grew up around the Bible my entire life. So I actually grew up in like an Indonesian Christian church. Um, but I was I was really active in that church. But it wasn't until I got into college, you know, that I really dedicated my life uh, to Christ. And Lois and I actually, we just celebrated our two-year anniversary this past November, which is pretty cool. Uh, I went by really fast. And um, so... We're actually going to go on a big trip in January, which is which we're really excited for. We've been saving a lot for it. We're going to go to Orlando. We're going to go to Roy. Actually, hooked it up with some free Disneyland tickets. His his cousin. We we're super hyped about that. Um, but a couple of fun facts about me. Uh, so I'm actually a professional drummer. So I taught uh, for a number of years at the middle school level. But I love playing the drums. I, I love to play whenever I can. So I play at youth camp, teen camp, just whenever I get a chance. And also another fun fact about me is food is the way to my heart. I love food, and I think the Sweeney's are going to be treating us out to dinner after this, so I'm like, me and Lois are like, man, we're hungry. We're ready to eat some dinner already. Uh, but that's, that's about me. Here's, here's my wife. Good afternoon, everyone. I am so excited to be here. Um, I see a lot of familiar faces from youth camp. I know a lot of us has served up there, so it's so nice to see a little bit of family here as well. Um, like what Chris said, I'm Lois. And I'm actually Filipino. Um, I was born in the Philippines, and my family and I immigrated here in the U.S. in 2003. Um, I mostly grew up in Riverside. We moved there when I was in fourth grade, so I've been part of the IE since the fourth grade. Um, And I love it. And I got baptized in the teen ministry out there. I went to UCR, and I graduated with my B.A. in liberal studies. And I know Alicia mentioned it in the beginning, But about a year and a half ago, I decided to pursue my master's and my teaching credential. And, you know, they don't tell you how hard it is going to be to be a teacher. They don't tell you about all the tests and how much money that costs, um, but also just the amount of effort and time that people put in to actually be teachers. And I know there's a lot of teachers in the house. um, So, woo, woo. I just want to give you guys a shout out because you guys are the heart and soul (laughs) for kids and You guys are amazing, Um, but I'm so excited to finally be a teacher next month. So if you guys can pray for me, because the teacher just left, and I'm taking on this whole classroom in the middle of the year, Uh, but I'm just so excited. Teaching is definitely my passion. I love the youth, and I love teaching them and just telling them how awesome they are and having big dreams for them, and a fun fact about me I am actually in a pursuit to visit all of the coffee shops in the IE. Um, I know it sounds like really dramatic, but I'm not even kidding. I have a list on my phone, and I'm, like, checking it off and 
rating every single one. So if you guys have any cool coffee shops here in the desert, please let me know. Talk to me after church. Shoot me a text because I would love to visit it someday. So. And, man, it's funny, too, so we, that coffee shop list she has, like, it's a shared note, so I'll see if she edit it, ed- edits it. Um, so I'll be just doing my day-to-day, and I just see three coffee shops get checked out. I'm like, when did you even have time to go to these coffee shops? But she is really, <clears throat> really, really on a mission. Um, but, yeah, guys, so, again, it's, it's really, really exciting to be here. Me and Lois have been looking forward to it. Um, but, you know, as, as kind of the last couple of weeks, me and Lois were really trying to reflect on, okay, what? What do you, what, what, God, what do you really want us to share out in the desert? Um, but there's one topic that has been weighing really heavily on Lois and I's hearts for the last few, few years, actually. Um, and it's this topic of generational unity. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that before. Generational unity, specifically in the church. Because um, we know that generational unity is in the Bible. You know, God is described as, as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? How three completely different generations were, were all unified in worshiping the same God. I think that's, that's such an amazing thing to see. And I think that's something that we also need to have here in the church. Um, but I think all of us understand, at least logically, that being unified within our generations is, is an important thing and it's good. But man, it's actually really hard to implement, right? <laughs> because I know, and I'm sure you guys know it, I think each generation is very, very different from each other, right? Just the way that we were brought up, the way that we were raised. Um, I, 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 I'm really, really just, I think back at, at, at the ways that God has um, really paved the way for not only my generation, but the, the generations before me. But there's, there's a unity that we we really need to have. But you see, I think the thing that is preventing us is this thing called the generation gap. I don't know if you heard of that, that term before. I have it on the screen here, generation gap. And this, this, this term that was coined to, to describe the differences in thoughts, actions, and tastes exhibited by members of younger generations versus older ones. And this gap has been growing bigger and bigger because each generation, like I said earlier, is, is vastly different. I think this, the world has, has been trying to fix this gap, but we know that if you put a, a group of people with different perspectives and opinions in the same room, best believe there's going to be some disagreement and best believe there's going to be some strife. I love the way that George Orwell puts it. He says, each or every generation imagines itself to be more intelligent than the one that went before it and wiser than the one that comes after it. Like, isn't that so true? The, like, the millennials think that we're, we're just going to save the world. Millennials, that is, it's our generation that's going to just do everything. And then we have the, the, the boomers and the Gen Xers that just think, man, our wisdom is unmatched. We, we, we know everything. I think we're good to go. And then we have the Gen Zs, so that's me, that just they don't want to hear any other perspective other than their own. And then now we have this new generation called Generation Alpha, that their names are just better than everyone else's. Generation Alpha, like, but we have all these different perspectives, right? All these different generations, and, and the results of these different perspectives is a generation gap instead of generational unity. Does that make sense? And, and why I share all this is because this gap is really dangerous. Dangerous because this type of thinking can also seep into the church. And we can see little glimpses of it here and there, right? 
Right? What, what kind of worship should we, should we play? Should we sing kind of the uh, Hillsong, Maverick City music, or should we just sing the hymns? Or how, how should the preacher dress? Like, I'm pretty sure, like, five years ago, if I preached here in the IE with just a button-up shirt with, uh, like, not a suit and tie, everyone's like, what? What's going on? Why is, why is he not dressed that way? Or how, how much skin should a, a Christian woman show? If she shows just two inches of her shoulder, is that, is, where's, where's the line there? But I think each generation has different perspectives on these things. But again, not saying that one is right and one is wrong is just the way that we were brought up. It was the, the, the time period that we lived in. It, it, it was just different. But you see, what, what happens is because of these different perspectives, tension can be created in the church. And rather than us moving forward together as a community like God intended, we end up being too busy fighting amongst ourselves. So, so the question that me and Lois hope to pose today is this. How can we begin to bridge this generation gap? How, how can we start? So that's, that's the title of the sermon this, uh, this afternoon is, is Generation Gap to Generation Bridge. And Lois and I's goals is to show us just two biblical steps, just two, that we can take to begin to bridge this gap. And I, I want to preface with this too. This, me and Lois don't expect just to fix this gap in the 35-ish minutes of us here speaking here today, but our, our, our hope and our prayer is just to challenge and hopefully encourage us to, to let's, let's figure out how to, a way that we can start to bridge this gap together as a community, as, as God's church. Amen? So before we dig into it, can we, can we pray? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the, for the desert ministry. And um, Lois and I feel already so much, so much love and support and but right now, I really pray that you can open up all our hearts. Um, help us be receptive to your message. God, I pray that you can put Lois and I aside and help us uh, really bring honor and glory to you during this service. But God, I love you, and I pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, guys. So, so what's step number one? What's the first step that we can take to, to bridge this generation gap? Step number one is to remember that we are family. Remember that we are family. Turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going we're gonna to read in verse 19. So Paul here, as we know, is speaking to the Ephesian church here. And in verse 19, I have it on the screen as well. This is what he says in verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself, as the chief cornerstone. So, so Paul here seeks to remind the, the Ephesian church that the Jew and the Gentile have been reconciled through Christ. So he's trying to get the Christians at the time to see that no matter if you're a Jew or a non-Jew, they, they belong to the kingdom of Jesus. So for us today, if we made Jesus the Lord of our lives, it doesn't matter the color of our skin, where we came from, or more specifically for our time here today, when we grew up, or how old we are, that we are all, just like the scripture says, members of his household. We're all members of his household. You see, this, this is the first step we need to take to begin to bridge the generation gap. Because the world wants us to believe it's our generation versus your generation, right? It's, it's us versus them. But in the kingdom of Jesus, the opposite is true. 
And instead of pushing each other away, we have this opportunity to draw closer when we realize that we're just all members of God's household, that we're in this together. But again, this is a lot easier said than done, isn't it? How how can we do this? What are some things that we can practically do to remember that we are a family so that we can begin to take steps to bridge this generation gap? Some have Lois come up and, and share a practical for us how we can really implement this in our lives right now. Alrighty. So one of the ways that we thought of practically is to simply make time for everyone, to make time for people. You know, I remember when I was just in a, I was in the preteens and I had a mentor. She was in college, and she really invested so much of her time in me. Um, she would take me to Yogurt Land. She would take me out for. She, she would take me out to places to eat. She would take me to the park across my street, and she would even invite my older sister with me. And I honestly just felt like the coolest kid on the block because no one in my grade would be able to say that she had a friend in college. Um, And I feel like this is something that we have the opportunity to do in our movement. We get to make friendships that no one else will have. Um, And so later on, when I was in high school, I had another mentor. She was um, young. She was in the Young Mary's ministry, and she would honestly pick me up from school She would invite me in her home. She would take me hiking. She would teach me ways that I didn't even know I would need being married to Chris. And I really love how we got to build that friendship. And I knew that they had no ulterior motive rather than to just be my friend. And I think this is exactly what we need here. And I honestly have so much respect for the Desert City Church for you guys because I hear so much of the outings that you guys have, the families that you create, um, and just being in each other's lives from the very beginning. And I love that, you know, and I think this is exactly the ways that we can glorify God through the family, through being members of his household. And for the season, more seasoned people here, a way to think about how you're spending your time is who are you training up? Who are you investing in? You know, is there somebody in your family group or outside your family group that you can teach them, you can invite them in your homes, you can teach them how to cook, um, and even let them be a part of your family, be a part of your devotions and your family game nights. For the younger people here, who are you learning from? Are you taking times out of your week to be taught? And I know it's hard because we have homework, we have part-time jobs, and we just have other things to do. But this is so crucial to learn from the older generation, to listen to their stories and really learn how to do X, Y, and Z, how to fold laundry correctly, or how to even start laundry in the first place. We really need to learn from older people. And so for both generations, we need to invest our time in order to bridge this generation gap and create the family. Amen. So we need to make time. I think that's such an important part of remembering that we're a family. But not only that, but another practical that we can we can implement this week in our lives is to also serve, to serve one another. I know, I remember, um, so back in 2016, um, you guys know that there was the big REACH conference. So at that time, I was, I got baptized in 2016, actually. Um, so I was about a three-month-old disciple at the time. And, like, all the, all my college ministry friends were like, dude, you need to go. You, sh- you need, really need to come. It's going to be an awesome experience. I was like, dude, I have no money. How am I going to make it there? But somehow, like, God miraculously got me to reach. 
And this was the first time I ever traveled without my parents. I was 18 at the time. So I was kind of nervous, but, you know, I was able to get, um, you know, to the airport, and I flew by myself. I was like, man, I'm adulting. I feel so cool. And then I, I get to St. Louis, and I, I go to the baggage claim. I get my bags. I'm like, all right, let's get to the hotel. I'm like, man, how am I going to get to the hotel? <laughs> I, I was so used to my, my just relying on my parents to just figure out the ride for me. That was the one thing I forgot is a ride to the hotel. So I'm like, oh, man, how I was just, just standing there at the baggage claim, just confused, like not knowing what to do. And then there was a brother. He's actually in the, in the rancho ministry. You guys probably know him. His name is Kevin Farrell. Somehow he was there. I, I don't even remember seeing him on the plane. Maybe he just came in at the same time as me. But he was there, and I guess he saw me just looking confused. He was like, hey, dude, like, you're okay? And I told him the situation. I was like, yeah, bro, you can, you can just ride with me. And I was like, yes, please. That would be awesome. <laughs> And then, you know, he, he took me, you know, I, I, I you know, squeezed in there in, in his cab. And, but I'm like, man, like, that's what it looks like just to serve. It doesn't have to be this grandiose thing, but just even giving, giving me a ride. I think he understood that I just needed a church dad at that moment, right? And if he's, that, that's how you build family. And I didn't even really know him at the time. But the fact that he, he went out of his way just to serve me, like, that's, that's how we bridge this gap. That's how we remember that we're a family. So to the younger generation, the next generation, how are you serving the older generation? And also to the seasoned generation, how are you serving the younger? Because regardless of how old we are or, or when, we, when we grow up, we all, we all need to be encouraged at times because it builds up not only our faith, but it also builds family. Amen, church? But now let's continue on. What's, what's the second step that we can take? Second step that we can take to, to bridge this generation gap, and the second step is this, to have generational humility. Have generational humility. You know, humility, <clears throat> excuse me, is, is one of those traits that everybody wants to have but has a hard time actually implementing. I think all of us want to be like Jesus in that way, that we want to be humble, but, man, it's really hard to be humble sometimes because all of us like being right. Raise your hand if you like being right. <clears throat> it, just, it just feels good to be right. At least for me, I love being right. Um, until I got married, and I had to realize that it's okay to be wrong, maybe like 99.99% of the time. But humility is key, right? We need to be humble. It is the key to, to bridge this, this gap because we really we need each other. So have you guys ever participated in a relay race before? Relay races are, are really, really fun. Um, and I think the reason why for me is that it, it's a team effort. Like, each, each runner in the team needs to do their part of the race and, in order for the whole team to get to the finish line. So I, I don't think there's a single runner relay race. I don't think that exists, right? We, each, each runner needs to run their part. But also, not only do they need to run their part, but they need to make sure that they successfully pass the, the baton to the next athlete. So back in 2008, there was the famous Beijing Olympics. Um, and it was a really, really awesome year. Um, and there was also the, the men's 400-meter relay. And Team USA at that time was, was really looking good. They were probably one of the top contenders to potentially win the gold. So, but in order for them to compete for the, a medal, they had to qualify in the prelims. So Team USA, they, they, they were running in the prelims. And the third runner, Darvis Patson, was running, and he was about to run. He was running the corner, about to pass the baton to Tyson Gay. And guess what happened? Dropped the baton. Can you imagine? 
four years of hard work, blood, sweat, and tears. And then they dropped the baton. If you don't know, if you drop the baton in this race, the whole team's disqualified. So not only did they did not win the medal, but also the rest of the team didn't get to even, not even get the medal, but didn't even get a chance to compete for the medal. Crazy. But, but why is this significant for our time here today? In the same way, each generation is running a spiritual relay race, I believe. And there's a humility that each generation in this, re- in this race should have, knowing that there's no one generation more important than the other. Each runner just needs to do their part to win the race. There's a humility that each generation in this race should have, knowing that I want to run this race to the best of my ability, and I want to do my part to get that baton to my teammate. And that takes humility. It's not, okay, I'm going to run this race myself, but no, I'm going to work as a team and get this baton so that we can finish this race. And church, if our baton here in this room gets dropped, there's a lot more at stake than just winning an Olympic race. Like this, I really believe that this is going to determine the future of our fellowship. We need each other, and there's a humility we need to have to rely on each other. So to the more seasoned generation, do you have the humility are you willing to let go of that baton? But then to the next generation, do you have the humility and do you trust and are you willing to rely on the previous generation to get that baton to you after they finish their race? <clears throat> you see how that <clears throat> takes humility? That takes humility on both parts, regardless of the generation that you are a part of. So turn your Bibles with me to Psalm chapter 78. I love this psalm because it gives us really good insight on the type of humility we need to have between our generation. The humility that the seasoned generation needs to have, but also the humility that the next generation needs to have. So in Psalm chapter 78, we're going we're gonna to pick up in verse 1. This is what it says. My people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth to the parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old. Things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us, we will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. Verse 5, he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn will tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. Let's pause right there. So this psalmist, he's talking to the more seasoned generation of Israel at the time. And he makes it abundantly clear that the role that the seasoned generation has towards the younger. If you didn't catch it, we can look at it one more time. Look what it says. It says, they will not hide what they have heard and known from their descendants. It says, they will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and his wonder. And then it also says, They will make sure the next generation will know these things, even the children yet to be born, and then their children's children. You see, this is what passing the baton looks like, right? The baton gets passed from one generation to another through teaching, through sharing, and through the imparting of wisdom that a more experienced generation gets to pass down to the next generation. So so let me speak directly to the, the next generation in this room. We need to be Willing and humble enough to be taught, just like the scripture says. That's, that's the role that the experienced generation has. 
No ifs, ands, or buts. That they are here to impart their wisdom on us, but we need to be humble enough to take that wisdom. But now here's what tends to happen, though. I think the next generation can feel like we just know everything, don't we? I just know everything. I don't need help. I got this. I want to do this on my own. I don't need your help, mom and dad, uncle or aunt. I, I, can I please just let me, let me do this by myself? And I think there's, it, that's, that's fine. But you see that there's a little bit of pride in there? You see, the world teaches us that if we don't know everything, that's weakness, right? Like if we don't know everything, that's where we're weak, that we're somehow less than. But the kingdom of Jesus teaches us that if we don't know everything, that's okay. Because you look around this room, we have brothers and sisters that have gone before us that are willing to help us every step, every step of the way. And that's strength. That's true strength. It's not about how can I pave my destiny? How can I do it by myself? No, the kingdom of Jesus says, no, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That there are people that love you and care about you, but also don't want you to do this crazy thing called life on your own. But I think the question is, are you willing to get some help? Please remember, the, the baton needs to get past to you first, right? You can't just run without anything. You need to be willing to get some wisdom from people. We need guidance. So to the next generation, how can we practically have humility? Next generation humility. What, is, what does that look like? And the answer is really, really simple. It really is just to seek wisdom. Seek it. In Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. Now, sometimes we think that I just, I'm going to wake up one morning and just be just enlightened. I'm just going to have all the wisdom in the world because I just woke up and I feel good. But that doesn't happen, I think. If that happened to you, that's, that's awesome, good for you. I would love to hear about it, but that didn't happen to me. I don't know what I'm doing. So you have, you have to go and find it. And the way you find it is to ask people, to talk to people, to have mentors in your life to help you and to guide you from the big, really big decisions to even the smallest ones, too. That's okay. You know, I, I'm really grateful for Sergio Arguello because I literally ask him any question or when I, whenever I have any car question or automobile question, I always go to him. Like whether it's like, hey, bro, like do you think this mechanic is – Jipping, like jipping me or something like is this a good price do you think for this specific part and he's like no that's that's a pretty good price like no dude you should probably go somewhere else like I, I need his wisdom because i have no clue how to deal with cars that's just not in my skill set I, I don't have that kind of wisdom so i'm going to actively try to figure out what to do and who i can talk to about that specific thing i also love rick garcia and james counts they're out in 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 the riverside ministry and they've not only helped me just in my marriage and helping me be a young man but I'm just in this time of my life where I don't want to pay rent anymore. I, I really don't like paying rent. And I remember when I first got married, I was like, I'll live in an apartment for the rest of my life. I love this. I get to be my wife. But now I'm like, man, I'm throwing away 1200 bucks, and I'm never going to see that money again. It's the worst. So I'm like, okay, hey, who can I talk to to help me get a house? I really want a house one day. I don't know when, but hopefully one day. But let me, let me try to gain some knowledge and, and try to find some wisdom from people who have done it before. So best believe I'm going to talk. If you guys want to give me some house advice, please talk to me. I need it. I'm trying to seek wisdom still to this day. I need it. But you, but you see, young people, that's, that's the mindset that you need to have. You should be get, getting excited about seeking wisdom, that you don't have to do it by yourself. You guys with me? 
So we just read, though, how the psalmist just went into detail about the role that the oldest should have in the younger, and then the younger needs to have humility. But now let's, let's keep reading. It doesn't, it doesn't stop there. Let's pick up in verse 8. It says, They, being the younger generation, would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. So let's pause there. It's a little interesting here. So he just says, okay, older generation, I want you to impart wisdom. I want you to train up and, and, and help the younger generation. But also, don't forget that as you're teaching them, teach them not to be like you. What? It's a little interesting there, right? Because we know from the Old Testament, the, the, the seasoned generation of Israel, right, had some of their issues, didn't they? They worship idols. They turn their backs on God. But, so what, what is he trying to say here? What I believe the psalmist is saying that the older generation needs to teach the next generation, yes, but more specifically, they should teach them to be better than them. To be better. The more experienced generation needs to have the humility to allow the next generation to flourish and succeed in ways that they did not. To help the next generation thrive in ways that maybe they could not. But the temptation that the more experienced generation can feel is this: sometimes we get so stuck in our ways so stuck in, in how we do things, how, think, how we think things should go, that if we, we hear the word change, we just lose our mind. And it's not, because, it isn't, it's not about how can we help build up the next generation. It's okay, how can we keep things the same? How, how can we keep things the way that I like it? Because I don't want to change. You know, something I noticed my, about myself in, in leading the teen ministry is I sometimes have a really hard time giving teens responsibility because I think I know better. So I, I don't want to give teens responsibility to plan a Devo or, or to lead a Bible talk or, or disciple someone because I'm such a control freak that I want things to happen a certain way. And I get hesitant to trust someone who I think doesn't know as much as I do, so I, I, I just do it myself. Have you guys ever felt this way, seasoned generation? Maybe it's, maybe it's one of your kids. Maybe it's a younger person at your job and but I've learned that not only is this going to negatively impact the health of the teen ministry, but it also revealed the pride I have in my heart that i got to repent of. Because you see, it's not about how I can build up the next generation. It's about how can I keep things the way that I like it. You see, it's not about how I can help them be better. It's just me thinking about myself. It's a very selfish way to think. But our role is to help guide and trust that God is going to make something beautiful out of the next generation. And that takes trust, and that most importantly takes a lot of humility. So to the more seasoned generation, how can you begin to have humility? Seasoned generation humility. What does this look like practically? Mavlo has come up and share. So the practical for the more seasoned is to empower and don't discourage. Um, so John in First John wrote to the younger generation or wrote out reasons why he was writing First John in the first place. Um, and he was talking more specifically to the young. In First John 2.14 it says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. You know, and how powerful are these words coming from somebody who is older in the faith? 
I can already imagine the younger generation, you know, feeling uplifted, feeling believed in and supported, feeling validated and seen for their strength, and especially feeling so empowered. You know, these were the words that they probably needed to hear at a time of figuring out their Christianity, figuring out their faith, and even growing in their faith. You know, do you remember your younger years when you were going through high school, maybe, and how hard that was stepping on a high school campus? Or even your single years trying to stay pure in a very, very sexualized culture? Or maybe even the moments when you were trying to figure out the right job where you can still honor God, still give to your family, and still serve the church um, in the midst of a very success-driven world. You know, your words are so powerful, uh, and they may be the exact spur that somebody younger than you needs. It's those you are strong enough, remember what you have overcome, and even the reminders of how grand God is. And, you know, if you have that one older person that you confided in when you were young to the more seasoned one, I want you to remember them. Remember how they believed in you and how they listened to you how they spurred you on, and how they were a trusting ear to you. But we need to know what empowering the young is, because oftentimes our empowering can be very discouraging. Um, So what does it look like to discourage the younger generation? You know, it can be phrases like, you're not old enough. You'll understand when you're my age. Um, Discouraging them to ask new questions, because maybe the discussions are, are new and very uncomfortable. It can be focusing too much on someone's shortcomings rather than simply being a help and a trusted friend in their spiritual journeys. It can even be pointing out the flaws rather than reminding them of their talents and of their victories and strengths. I know Jane Goodall once said, young people, when informed and empowered, when they realize that they do truly make a difference, can indeed change the world. You know, and I absolutely have so much respect for those older in the faith. You guys have conquered so many mountains in your life that we have yet to experience. You have stood firm in your relationship with God through so much trials, so much grief, and so much loss. And you have gone through a lot of spiritual, spiritual awakenings. And we really do hope and pray to learn from you, but we really need to be empowered. And we want to carry this baton and keep running this spiritual race, but the question is, are you willing to pass it on? Amen. Amen, guys. So we need to have generational humility if we're going to begin bridging the generation gap. But I know we we talked about a lot of stuff today, a lot. And I, I hope that you guys feel a little more equipped and inspired to have generational unity. Because we really do need this church. We need each other. But as we transition to a time of communion right now, we cannot forget the glue that holds each generation together. What makes this all even possible? Even if everything that, you, that we said today just goes over your head, we know this one fact that, can make sh- that will always be the glue that holds everything together is the fact that Jesus died on the cross for every single one of us here today. No matter how different our generations can be, he is the one common denominator we have, church. And let me tell you, he is everything that we need. Everything that we need. I love what it says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14 as we take communion together. It says, For he himself is our peace, who has 
made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, there's no dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. He united the two groups even though they were different in every single way. But how true this is for us today as well. Because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, we also get to have generational unity. The dividing wall of age and upbringing have been demolished because of Christ's great mercy. So as we take the cup and the bread, let's remember the cross. Amen, church. Let's pray. Father God, you are good. God, you are faithful. And God, you love us so much more than we can even fathom. And I know that each each generation is so different from each other. And I know that this gap can oftentimes look really scary to look at. But I pray that out of everything that we talked about today, the most important thing is you. The thing that's really going to unify us fully is your son, Jesus. And I pray that we can remember that. That God, Jesus is the common denominator. God, Jesus' sacrifice is what has brought us here in this room, has brought us to our knees in reverence and awe of you, Father. And I pray that you can help us remember this especially as we step into this new year with new adventures and new challenges, but I pray that we can remember you always. That your love, that your mercy and your grace is our motivating factor, the catalyst in our bones to move forward even though every fiber in our being is saying no. Help us remember you. And I pray that in 2022, our church can begin to bridge this generation gap. God, I love you so much, and I pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.